getting started today. Last week we talked about being single and how you can glorify God in that. Whether it's for a season of life, whether it's for your decision, hey, this is the way I want to live my life forever, or, or whatever. How do you find yourself being single? But today, marriage is what brings us together today. Love, true love, that blessed arrangement, that dream upon a dream. Most of you know where that's from. Princess Bride. Princess Bride, good movie. But that's not the actual show. You know, that's a movie, right? But we're, we're sort of just loosely basing this series off of TV shows. Today is King of Queens. Anybody remember that show? Kevin James and uh, Lisa, I don't know how you say her last name, Ripped, whatever, R, that, that lady. Uh, they had this really good show, they had Jerry Stiller in it, and it was funny, you know, it was, it, in some ways it was true to life. It was, it was hilariously funny at times, but if you remember that show and you really pay attention, their relationship was pretty messed up, wasn't it? It was pretty toxic, if you want to use a, a catchphrase that we use a lot of times on this. You know, and it, it was just a, it was a different relationship. And I'm all about joking and laughing, and, and Sherry likes to talk about a lot of times that when I'm going through a difficult time, she, now this is her words, this is not mine. She says, I like to do something goofy so that me, Bobby, can joke her and make fun of her. And that's, she falls on her sword. I don't think that's true. I'm not a heartless, cool person like that. But anyway, we love the joke, and she hasn't always been the joking type. I mean, she's always had a great sense of humor, but she hasn't always been the joking and picking type. But man, she, I love it now when she busts on me, and I just bust out laughing, because I think it's hilarious. And, and I, that's her greatest feat in life, am I right? When, I, when you make me laugh out loud, that there was something you made fun of me at, that's, I love that. That's great. So maybe we are like king and queens, I don't know. Who knows? But if you've been around church for a while, or you've been around the Bible, you've heard a passage of scripture probably that we're going to sort of uh, spend some time on today, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head over the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now this passage of scripture, you know, I've preached on this quite a few times in the short life of moving church, you know, just a little over three years. And this passage, for some people, is like, yeah, I love that passage. And other people is like, no, I don't like that passage. And because maybe because in your history, somebody's read that passage to you, or you've read that passage and you've stopped there at verse 22. And, you know, some people have maybe sort of thrown their weight behind that and said, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The end. You know, I don't know, maybe you've experienced somebody like that. But that's not the whole story, is it? It goes on and gets really heavy-handed on the guy's part. The, the guy in the relationship. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for the church. 
And so men are challenged to lay down their lives for their spouse. And if a husband's doing that, it makes it a whole lot more likely that a woman can freely say, I'm going to submit myself to my husband because he's going to be doing everything he can to lift her up and put her in a place to succeed and be blessed. Am I right? Now, so I've talked about this. And forgive me if you haven't heard this passage a lot. Because honestly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time breaking down the passage today because you read this passage and it's, it's powerful if you read it. But here's the thing. I find myself, I'm not excluded, and maybe you find yourself reading this passage and at the end of the day or the end of the moment, you're like, that's awesome. I want to do that. But How? <laughs> Husbands might head home and be like, I don't know if my wife appreciates me. I don't know if I want to lay down my life for my wife. And wives might look at their husbands and they're like, that dude's a knucklehead. <laughs> you know? Y'all afraid to laugh because y'all afraid y'all get judged, huh? <laughs> but you find yourself thinking, okay, that's great. I want to do that. Or maybe you're like, maybe you're not even married yet. Or you're, you don't know if you're going to be married. Or you're planning on marriage. Or you've been married forever. And you're like, I want that, but how in the world do we get from here to there? Maybe you feel like I've gone so far down that path in my marriage that I don't know if we can ever go back, but I'm telling you there's hope. And so what I want to do for the next few moments is get really, really practical as we point out some ideas from Scripture and just things that I've learned. Because I'll tell you, I've been, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I have a, a healthy marriage. I have a strong marriage, but man, it's been tough. It's been tough. And we want to have a strong, healthy marriage. And if we decide to get married, if that's our goal in life, you know, we think we got it all figured out and then our spouse messes it up, right? <laughs> so how do we do it? What does it look like? Sherry and I have done this marriage thing for almost 21 years. Yeah. Yeah. August, August 21 years. I can't believe I've done anything 21 years other than be alive, but I've done quite a few things now that long. But here's the thing. Our marriage has, is healthy, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect. I think most of y'all, if you've been around me for more than five minutes, I pretty much laid out a line that I don't, I don't have it all together. Sherry's got it. Sherry's got it figured out. I need a couple brain points. Anyway. <laughs> But no, she, she's got a lot more on the ball than I do. But our marriage is not perfect, but it's healthy. And there's a difference there. A lot of people end up falling into failure or feeling like failures because they're looking for a perfect marriage, but you ain't going to have it. Because guess what? Your spouse isn't perfect, and everybody, hold on, buckle up. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. And so if you've got two imperfect people that come together, it's not just all of a sudden, you know, two negatives don't make a positive in this sense. You know, it's not one of those things. It's going to, it can be healthy, but it will not be perfect this side of heaven. But we've had some amazing examples. We've had some amazing examples. Sherry's parents have been married for, for many years. Um, their anniversary is to, tomorrow. That's right. How many years? 47. She had a call. <laughs> 47 years. My parents have been married for over 50 years. 
And I'll tell you what, it's not always been perfect. They would tell you, I've seen it firsthand. I mean, they made me. <laughs> you can understand. Well, you know, this was a little struggle there for a while. They had to deal with me. But they made it and they fought and they clung to one another. And, and it goes back for, for generations. And don't get me wrong, we've seen divorce in our family and we've seen it. And I've been with friends and loved ones that have gone through it and gone through difficulties. And we, my wife and I, have gone through difficulties. And that's why I say it's not perfect, but it's healthy. But we've learned a lot from learning from other people. And we've counseled people from the things that we've learned. And here's a few things I wanted to spend time talking about this morning that hopefully would help you wherever you are in this process. If you're thinking about getting married, if you've been married, wherever you fall in between, or even if you decide, hey, I'm not, marriage isn't for me, it can also help just your regular relationships. And the little points here, I'm just, I'm kind of keeping with this whole pop culture thing. So see if you recognize the pop culture references in my main point as I break them down. All right. Uh, the first one is this. You need to learn about real love. Anybody know what real love is referenced to? My 90s music fans? Mary J. Blige, you might know that? All right. Some of y'all are real. All right. Here's the thing. Love is not a pit that you fall into. Love is sometimes it feels like love is not a pit that you fall into. And why do I say that? Because most of us, when we think and we talk about love, is like I was walking down the road one day and then I saw him, mm, and I walked a little further, boom, and I tripped and I fell into love with him. But then a few years later, you look at him, you're like, that dude's nasty, <laughs> you know. And so you think, okay, I fell out of love. But on the other side of that coin, love is not an airplane that you can trip and fall and be pushed out of. We don't fall in and out of love. That's not the way it truly happens. If you've done that, there's this thing called infatuation that we can probably sort of more likely fall in and out of. We can be physically attracted or even emotionally attracted, and those feelings can change, or those attractions can change. But we have to learn about real love. And here's something, if you've been around me for a little bit, you've heard this, but I know I need it repeated, so I believe you do too. Love is not, or excuse me, love is a decision, not an emotion. Love is a decision, not an emotion. Love is thinking and doing the best for somebody else. It's making the decision that I'm going to do and think the best for and of that person. And I'm going to do all I can to make their life as good as I can. And when we think about it in the Christian context, when we're trying to honor God, it's like I want to help them get as close to Jesus as they can. I want to make sure I try to remove every distraction that I can and help them succeed in their life with Christ. And in Ephesians 5 verse 28, we get a, a, a little bit of that understanding. It says, in the same way... Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's a great description of thinking and doing the best for someone else. You know, to love other people as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm being really honest, we've made it almost 21 years. Some of you I don't know, as I said, I try to be pretty upfront and transparent. But just because of the nature of what I do for a living, I'm a preacher. Some people look at it like, man, I wish I had his life. You know, they you know, got this really good marriage. Everything's just easy for them. 
I can honestly say that we have had plenty of reasons to divorce. I can honestly say it. Sherry's had more than I had, probably. Well, I didn't, that didn't get a laugh. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> Too heavy? Too heavy? Sorry. Uh, I'm more sick and twisted. But we have had plenty of reasons to divorce, but we have decided to love one another. And there have been times, there have been times that our emotions and our feelings were way, way up here. And then there have been times that they have been way, way, way down here. If I could bust up these floorboards and dig a hole, that would probably be a good description. I'm just being real. But we have decided to love one another. And when you decide to hold on to one another, and when, even when it hurts, even when it's hard to think and do the best for the other person, those feelings and emotions will come back. But it's not a feeling that you fall in and out of. It's a decision that you make. And so we decide to love one another. And so when those feelings ebb and flow, you stick it out. You keep doing acts of love and kindness for that other person and the feelings will return. And I'm not here to tell you that you go and you do one nice thing that is going to come rushing back. It might take a long time, but you keep doing those things and putting that other person first. So learn about real love. The second one is this. See if you can catch the reference. Find out how I kept your mother. <laughs> Not in a weird way. It's just a TV show. How I Met Your Mother, right? Okay, How I Kept Your Mother. Here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. You and I, if we're in a relationship or decide to be in a relationship, we need to learn our greatest need. Our greatest need. Now, there's a couple words I hope will be up here on the screen. Security versus significance. Security versus significance. Now, let me, let me give a little bit of disclaimer here. Here's a little asterisk, okay? Some of you might hear what I'm about to say, and you might get off on a tangent because you might think, well, that's not really true for me. I know I'm going to be speaking today a lot in generalities. It, it, you know, you might think, oh, this isn't me. But for the most part, most men really thrive on a need for significance, and most women thrive on a need for security. Okay? Now, here's what I'm saying. Don't go off on a tangent. Don't get yourself upset or anything. Because, you know, some people might, you might be conditioned because of your past relationships or what people told you. And when you hear that a woman needs security, you might think that that's saying that she's weak or she's powerless or she can't do anything on her own. No, no, that's not it at all. And, and the significance, you know, you might, you might think, well, that's not really something I think that I need as a guy. But someone taught me this years ago, and I've watched in my life, and I've watched in the lives of other people, and I've found it to be true way more often than it's not. Men need significance. Women need security. And when you find that out, that can help your relationship in a crazy, powerful way. Here's a good example. And, and here again, you might not identify with this, but for the most part, I think it's true. Women tend to like to cuddle every now and then. Is that true for the most part? Men, not so much. Men, not so much. And, and there are going to be people who fit into either category. They don't get lost here. But here's the thing. Men like to be praised. Women like to cuddle. Men like to be praised. 
cuddling is a little bit of a form of security. It's like, ah, you're here with me. A person is here. A person I care about. They care about me. That, that fills my need every now and then. Some of you might not want that much, but every now and then it's nice. But guys, we like to be praised. And, and I think everybody can agree with this. If, if a guy does something like takes out the trash or washes the dishes, what do we do? We stand there for 30 minutes until our wife comes downstairs. <laughs> we download the app on our phone, we get a little sound effect. Da, 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 you know. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I trained the three-year-old to do that. I'm like, so I want you to praise me. And I can say that honestly because that is me. I mean, that is me to a T. I want to be praised, and I think most of you need that. And that is, is hitting in on your significance because we want to be praised. You know, a lot of guys like sports, and, and they, so they want to be the guy that hits the home run. They want to hit the, uh, the buzzer beater. They want to be the champion. You know, even if you don't like sports, guys find ways that they can feel significant. And women want to have security. They like to go out with their, their girlfriends who they know they can trust and they're there. You know, they're together. This is security. Here's what I'm getting at. Most affairs don't necessarily happen because of physical attraction. They really don't. Most of them don't happen because of physical attraction. Why they happen is because maybe a man doesn't feel like he's his wife's hero anymore. She stopped praising him, patting him on the back, and he goes to work, and there's a woman who's like, oh, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. Even though he might not be. <laughs> but she'll tell him that. And so he'll start looking. He's like, well, she appreciates me. She appreciates what I do. She realizes that I'm a significant person, that I've got value, and that you know I, I am still just a, a good guy. And a, a woman might go, and, and she meets a guy maybe at the gym, Maybe her husband sort of checked out emotionally, hasn't been there for, and she meets this guy who he just really listens to me. <laughs> I, it happens more often than we want to admit. It doesn't always happen because of physical attraction. Yeah, that might be a part. Yeah, the physical stuff might be a part. But nine times out of ten, where it got started, why you started to pull your eye away from your spouse and look to somebody else is because your needs weren't being met in that way. You didn't feel secure. You didn't feel significant. In verse 33 of chapter 5 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. When a man lets his wife know that he is there for her, he cares for her and loves her as himself, she will be content. And the, and the husband, if she respects her husband and lets him know that she appreciates his qualities and his good things that he does, when he washes the dishes, it doesn't take much for us. Let's be honest. But when she does that, he feels significant and respected. Here's the next idea. See if you catch this reference. Welcome to Fight Club. All right, pretty simple. Movie Fight Club. All right, I talked about last week. I, I mentioned it last week. You have to learn how to fight right. And I stand by that with everything I am. If you go into marriage or you're thinking about marriage or you went into it saying, oh, we're never going to fight. <laughs> you probably had the cops call to your house because <laughs> I mean, it caught you off guard. And so we need to understand that we have to understand we have to learn how to fight if we want to have a healthy marriage. You have to need to learn to do it the right way. And here's the thing. You will fight. 
you will fight. And you're not wrong for doing it. Maybe you were not Christians when you got married. And you get married, uh, you, you become Christians, and then you, the next day, you know, like you come up out of the baptistry, you go home, and you're like, oh, we're not going to fight. You'll probably fight on the car on the way home. <laughs> and Satan would be like, oh, you're a failure. Christians don't fight in their marriage. Lie. <laughs> Lie. I mean, you will fight, and you will fight even as a Christian. Here's a, a few quick rules, okay? So just maybe jot these down or, or storm away in your brain. The first one is this. Never say never or always. Try your best when you're in a disagreement to say never or always. Try not to say those words because that's how it happens is you're talking, you're, you're discussing, and then, well, you never do this or you always do this. The other person is done. They shut down. They don't hear another thing you say because they can think of 10 instances that, you know, that they've done that thing you said that they never do. Or they can think of plenty of times where they, you know, uh, haven't done the response that you said they always do. And so they don't listen to you anymore. And so that just shuts down. And they're like, you're, and here's what they translate. And you can tell me, if you've been there, that you're like, you're lying. Because I don't always do that. And you know, there are times that I, that I do those things that you, you said no. So try not to say never and always when you're in a disagreement. Here's another thing, and uh, I did not think that my mother-in-law was going to be here today, but leave mama out of it. Leave mama out of it. And here's what I mean more specifically. Don't insult family. Here's, that's what I'm really talking about. Don't insult family when you're in a disagreement with your spouse. It's a real temptation for maybe the wife to say, you're just like your dad. Whether that be a good thing or a bad thing. In the situation you're talking about, it's easy to say. Or, you know, it's just, you're just like your mom or, or whatever. Don't bring family into it because that's not the issue. You guys are married and you got to deal with it. Here's the third thing. Get your money under control. Get your money under control. And that, man, the room went quiet on that. But the greatest majority of fights in a marriage happen over, guess what? Money. Because you go into it not expecting the same things. You maybe haven't even talked about it. And so anytime I get the opportunity to counsel someone before they get married, one of the things that we're going to talk about in our four times getting together is money and finances and budgeting. Get your money under control. Make a plan, a budget of where your money's going to go so you can do your best to hedge off that fight that is going to happen so many times. Here's another thing, number four. Stay on topic. Stay on topic. Don't dredge up last week's fight. Amen. Oh man, I, I hit one there. <laughs> Stay on topic because you are you're discussing whatever it is you're discussing right now. It does no good to go back and talk about what happened last week because they feel ganged up on. They feel you know the other person feels ganged up on. They feel like they're just being just just poured on and they can't even catch their breath. Stay on topic. Number five. Be honest about the reason for the fight. That's sort of the flip side of this coin. Be honest about the real reason for the fight. You might be arguing about somebody that didn't take the trash out, but really it's because you just haven't been spending enough time together. You just got to step back and say, what am I really upset about? And you might not be able to do that at the moment, but when you get apart and you, you get quiet and you get by yourself, think about why am I really upset? 
and say, what is the real reason for the reason that we are fighting? And you might find out it might be your physical, I won't keep peachy, but it might be your physical relationship needs to step up a little bit. Because you will not like each other if you don't have enough couple time. I'll just say that. Alright? Real talk. Alright? But figure out why you're truly fighting. Alright? Here's the next thing. I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to fall. That was all for you. Here's what I'm talking about. Become best friends. Become best friends. I know there are going to be some people who are going to disagree with me on this. And you could be wrong. That's cool. <laughs> I do believe that a husband and wife need to be or become best friends. You need to be somebody that you can trust. There needs to be no secrets between you. And there are going to be people that disagree with me on that. But I have seen it way too many times when I have kept the secret, how it ends up blowing up. Or, or Sherry's kept the secret for me and ends up blowing up. And I've seen relationships that have been completely destroyed because of secrets. Am I right? So you need to be best friends. You need to be each other's confidant so that you can keep no secrets between you. And here's another thing sort of related to the family thing. And this is going to be hard for some of us to swallow. But listen, listen. You cannot tell your parents everything that you fight about. You cannot tell your parents everything you fight about. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Your spouse can repent. They can get it straight. They'd be like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. But if you've already told your mom and your dad or your brothers and your sisters or whoever or your, or your really good friends, if you've already told them, your spouse starts acting right to you. They make it right. They repent. They, they, they fix the relationship. But they haven't gone to your mom or your dad or your friends and fixed that relationship. There's nothing to fix there. And so that friend or that family member, you know what they do? They hold a grudge and they don't forgive as easily. You moved on. You're good. Your relationship is healed and, and restored on the pathway to that. But mom and daddy ain't. And, and they're going to have a hard time. And so make sure you don't tell every single thing. But let me make this disclaimer because this is really important. I'm not talking about um, abuse or extreme situations. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. Don't, don't get that in your head. You need, if you're going through something that's, I'm talking about outside of these normal disagreements and arguments and even things that we do wrong with one another, you need to talk to somebody about that. You don't need to keep that to yourself. Does everybody hear that? Yeah. But here's what verse uh, 31 says of chapter 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Not the three or the four or the five or the six shall become one flesh. We need to separate from our families to an extent and become one and make sure we make that a healthy relationship. And so that relationship can move forward. And I'm going to say this, and this might be controversial. I don't know. But there can be no person of the opposite sex closer to you than your spouse. It, it just, they cannot be close. You can have, you know, male, female friends, whatever, all that, you, you figure out that stuff. But they don't need to be closer to you than your spouse is. I would say maybe even, you don't need to have, they need to be your best friend. You don't even have, if you're a guy, you don't need to have a guy that's absolutely closer to you than your spouse. They can be, you know, 1A, 1B, but you need to make sure that you build that relationship with your spouse so that you can be together, trust one another, and do this. And the way that you do this is last little bit. 
is communicate. You have to talk. And that may sound like the biggest duh statement like Tyler was talking about earlier. That may sound like the biggest duh statement in the world. But how many marriages after a few years or maybe even months in, they just stop talking? And you talk, but it's about dumb surface stuff and you never get deeper. You have to talk. You have to communicate. You have to date one another. You have to make time to date one another. You have to make each other a priority. Do the things now that you did back when you really cared about impressing each other. <laughs> Do the things now that you did back when you were trying to trick them into liking you. Yeah. Do those things. Woo them, to use an old phrase. Woo them. Let them know that you love them. Leave them little notes. You know, surprise them. Pick them up for lunch when they don't expect it or drop off lunch. You know, do whatever. Give them a mask. I'm trying to be relevant to right now. I don't know. But here's the thing. And this is going to be a tough one. All right? This is going to be on the screen here. After God, the marriage comes first. Even before kids. Say it louder for the people in the back. Even before kids. And some of you are like, mm, that's my baby. Hear me out. After your relationship with God, the marriage should come first even before kids. Because here's why. Your kids will be better off for it. You will be a much better parent to your children if you do your best to put God first, that spouse second, and you will have more love, more affection, more right attitudes, more right responses when people and kids misbehave than anything when you get time to be with your kids. You will not neglect them. They will not go without. You will actually be a better parent working together if you do those things first. And then here's one last thing. Remember who is the king of queens and kings. <laughs> Remember who is the king of queens and kings. Simply put, make Jesus your number one. Make Jesus your number one. Your relationship, my relationship with Jesus has to come first. Or what you give your spouse and your kids will be second rate. Did you hear that? You have to make sure that Jesus is first. Or what you give your spouse or your children will be second rate. Your spouse cannot. And I touched on this a little bit last week, but I, I, I've got to hammer it again. Your spouse cannot fulfill you the way Jesus can. That is wrong of you to expect them to do that. That's wrong of them to expect you to do that for them. You cannot be fulfilled except by Jesus completely and fully. And then that person will be adding in and do all the extra stuff. When your priorities are correct, you'll help your spouse. Here's the thing. If you're deciding, hey, we're going to work together. And some of you, and I'd love to talk with you, if you find yourself and you don't have a spouse that's thinking the same way, maybe they aren't a Christian yet, or maybe they aren't living their life focused on Jesus, and I, I feel your pain. And, and we'd love to talk with you and pray with you, and, and chances are we probably already are praying for you. 
But we want to help you work through this. But to do your very best to work together as a relationship. Because when you're strong, you'll be able to help that spouse who's weak. And you'll be able to pull them back up to the level they need to get. Or maybe when you're weak, they'll pull you up to the level where you need to be. If your priorities are right, you're focusing and working on doing all you can. I'll be really honest. Sherry and I are struggling right now with spending time praying together. We struggle praying together. Life is busy. We got lots of kids. We got lots of responsibilities. But we have to fight. And so I'm saying it right here in front of all y'all. I'm committing to pray more with you. Because the enemy is going to come after you in every way he can. Your world is in turmoil. And so you cannot just give up and go along with the flow. You've got to fight with everything that you are to stay the course and fix your eyes on Jesus. So make it your goal to love Jesus more every single day. Every single day. To love him more every single day. And you'll be a better husband. And if you tuned out, because maybe you feel like this message isn't for you, I want you to tune back in right now. Because if you make it your goal to love Jesus more every single day, you'll not only be a better husband or a better wife, a better mom, dad, but you'll be a better friend, employee, boss, whatever. You will be a better version of yourself if you focus on loving Jesus every day. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you back up and go back to verse 6, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, and it's talking about a lot of different things. It talks about sexual sin. It talks about uh, you know being focused on the wrong things. It says, For these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Do your best to every day say, what will please God more in my life? What can I get rid of that will keep me from pleasing the Lord? And make it your goal to please the Lord every single day a little bit more than you did. Not that you're going to earn His love, you cannot earn it. But say thank you. Say thank you. And show other people what they're missing out on. See, this life is a battle. And we need one another to finish the race and to cling to Jesus. So maybe you find yourself coming in here and your marriage is a mess. Or maybe it's just okay and that's just blah. Maybe you're just two roommates living in the same house. Or maybe you find yourself in here today and your marriage has failed. And you're thinking about, should I do this again? What will happen? Will it just be another failure? You're afraid. If you find yourself in here today and you're like, marriage is not on my calendar at all. Put Jesus first in everything you do and you will be better for it. 
Is Jesus Lord of all? Is He the King of kings and Lord of lords of your life? Of your little kingdom, like we talked about for the past few weeks? Is Jesus your everything? Because you will not. You'll, you'll worry, you'll fight, you'll struggle, you'll try to get your life right, you'll try to get your marriage right, you'll try to get your job right, you'll try to get your future just right. But unless Jesus is king, nothing else will fall into place the way it needs to. So is Jesus the king of your life today? I love to pray with you about that. I love to talk with you about that. If you need to obey the gospel, that just means you simply believe Jesus. You turn away from your sin. You confess Him as Lord. You meet Him in baptism. He washes away your sin. He gives you His Holy Spirit. If you need to do that today, we can get it done. And He can be the King, rightfully so. But maybe you need somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need somebody to come alongside you and say, man, I need help. We're here for that too. Let's stand the same. Let's worship you.